several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow and it is time for your weekly grape encounter. And gosh almighty, I am finally at a place that I've wanted to go to ever since we started the show. We've had folks from this particular winery on the show, but I've never visited the property until today. And I'm really, really excited because there are so many things that we need to talk about. We're at Wente Vineyards in Livermore, California. And this is such a beautiful, beautiful place. And joining me today, so glad to have Phil, Wente, Nikki. And finally, Carl, Nikki says you're the troublemaker. Troublemaker, first cousin, and chief winemaker. <laughs> okay, so let's start with the family. The family goes back. This is one of the oldest wineries in California. Yes, we were founded in 1883 by my great-grandfather. We have been in the Livermore Valley ever since. So he settled here, bought 50 acres, got married, had seven children, Four girls, three boys, gradually expanded his vineyard holdings over the years and uh, retired just before Prohibition, where Ernest and Herman Wente took over. He got his feet into the wine barrel in Napa, right? He did. He uh, immigrated to the Napa Valley in 1881 and went to work for Charles Krug for a couple of seasons before coming down here to the Livermore Valley. How long had Charles Krug been around at that point? I believe, well, Charles Krug historically worked for George Yaunt and then started his own winery in the late 1850s, I believe. So we wind up here. There are now how many generations that have worked or are working at Wente. Is it, we're at five, is that right? Yes, we're five generations in. As Phil said, great-great-grandfather came over and settled, and since then, you know, five generations have been embracing the Livermore Valley, and then in the 60s, our ranch down in Arroyo Seco as well, and 100% estate-grown, sustainably farmed, and we love what we do. Are there any sixth generations on the ground now? There's five of them now. Really? Yep, five. Uh, my eldest sister, Jordan, has three, and Carl's eldest sister has two. Wow. So there's plenty to pick up the reins. Do you guys ever worry about there coming a time when future generations won't be so interested working in the winery? Is that a fear that you ever have? There's probably for the fourth generation, they had a curiosity as to whether their kids would want to go in. But Phil has three daughters in the business, two daughters that are working with the family. And then my sister and myself are both involved. I think thinking about what the sixth generation wants to do is a little bit far away right now. And I think we're really happy and proud. And it's been a, a huge joy for me to watch my two younger cousins come into the business and embrace it and have fun doing what they're doing. Because I've talked to some second or third generation winemakers who are now at the end of the road 
where, you know, they're ready for retirement and they don't have anybody to pick up their reins. That's just got to be a, a horrifying thought. Then you can always sell it, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I mean, once you turn 21 and have your first sip of alcohol, you really figure out that wine's a pretty cool thing. I think my great-grandfather would have a smile on his face even imagining that we're still here. He never had that vision. He came here to make a better living for himself, raise a family, and try to survive. The idea that this has to go on or that there's some sort of pressure is one that, that I don't think we worry about. If you don't love it, don't do it. Your wines can be found most places. And when I say that, you're available overseas. You're available in most states now. We have nationwide distribution and have had, and in another probably 50 or so countries throughout the world. So reasonable distribution out there. What is the production here? Production, we have about 3,000 acres of vineyards. And then our wine production, we're approaching about 750,000 cases. Yeah, that's a whole bunch. It's a fair bit of wine, but it's still small enough that we're able to touch everything hands-on. Nikki is out in every vineyard before we pick as am I. And then on the winemaking side, we really have a hands-on approach. And so the big guys in this industry are, are hundreds of times our size and the small people in the industry are one one hundredth our size. And so we're in this little mid, mid ground where, yeah, we make a reasonable amount of wine, but we're still able to focus on quality, have the hand touches and have a, a great love behind our product. And it's amazing that Nikki handpicks every single grape that goes into those wines. She's out there and she helps make the picking decision about oh, when we're going to oh, go out. Pull them off the vine. I thought you meant she decided, I'll pick this one, I'll pick this one. She has a little basket around her waist. <laughs> Not so. No. That would be a lot of work with 3,000 acres. <laughs> <laughs> I should think so. Well, uh, you know, Wente is a name that I'm always proud to mention on the radio, and I have several times because, you know, there are certain brands that get up there in quantity and are available every place. And I want to make sure that if we talk about a wine that our listeners, wherever they're at, at least most of them can get it. The Wente name is very well known for a number of reasons. It's one of those where a lot of wine is being made, but the quality is maintained regardless. But year after year, you can count on the wine being as good as it was the last time you drank it. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the great beauties of being 100% estate grown for the Wente Vineyards portfolio in that we farm all of the grapes that go into our product. And so now I'm coming up on my 17th vintage at home in the Livermore Valley pales in comparison the number of vintages that Phil's been through, but 17 vintage working with the same vineyards, the same genetic material of those grapevines, the same clones, lots of them being the Wente clone, and really getting to know those vineyards when you pick, what sort of barrels to ferment in, how to surly age, what sort of malolactic fermentation, all of those different facets that'll go into the wine in order to maintain and deliver a consistency. Now, you mentioned the Wente clone, and I want to dive deeply into that in a few minutes, but that's a term, if you're in Anywhere near the wine industry, you'll hear that term many times a year, more times than you can believe, as a matter of fact, because it's so significant to the wine business. And a lot of people, a lot of listeners, I'm sure, don't even know what I'm talking about when I say clones. Now, how many vintages are we on? Have they all been successive? You were operating through Prohibition, too. So how many years are we talking? So 1883 to the present, so 135 vintages coming up, and I've I've been on 44 of them. And straight through, operated all the way through Prohibition, we sold a lot of sacramental wine to Bouillou Vineyards and Georges de la Tour, who then sold it on to the various dioceses around the country. And upon repeal, we had a winery full of fresh wine, and we still had all of our quality grapes to go back into business, which was very fortunate for us. Isn't it amazing that you could make sacramental wine and drink it, but for morally 
guided reasons prohibition came about. It seems a little odd to me, but anyway, that's the way it goes. So there's a celebratory wine here, right? Yeah, one of the two Chardonnays we have here is our 135th anniversary celebratory Chardonnay on the right. And it was a blend that we put together to really accentuate our estate-grown vineyards and accentuate our long, beautiful history with Chardonnay itself. And so it's about 60% from Livermore Valley and 40% from our Royal Seco vineyards down in Monterey. 100% barrel fermented, although not a lot of new barrels because really want to accentuate the beautiful fruit flavors that we get out so of it. So I haven't vineyards. tasted it yet. I'm going to I'm going to do that now, but uh, Kiss of Oak. Kiss of Oak, a hint of Oak, and I always want... Can I do this one first, by the way? Please do. Okay. And then what's the other one uh, while we're tasting this one? And the second one is our Riva Ranch Single Vineyard Chardonnay from our Royal Seco Vineyards. Oh, yeah. This is... Mm. Do you ever stop liking your wines? Do you ever get tired of them? No, we don't. It was actually pretty funny. The other day, we were doing a blind tasting in, with our winemaking team, and the Riva Ranch Chardonnay, single vineyard Chardonnay that we have in the left-hand glass here was one of the blind tastings that we were doing, and everyone voted as that one as it's their first choice. We've grown to love our wines and never get tired of them, and it shows if we're doing that kind of stuff. And to be even more honest here, I didn't even know it was Riva in the class. I, I was confused. They all tasted great, but I picked that one as my favorite, and it wow. happens to be our own. <laughs> you know, that to, to me, that's just, especially for the consumer who really loves Chardonnay, that's the crowd pleaser right there. You know, we've gone, bounced back and forth like a ping pong ball where Chardonnay is concerned, especially with the issue of oak, and uh, I want to talk about that next when we come back. The ups and downs of oaking Chardonnay, get your take on that, because it sent some people running now they seem to be scampering back to Chardonnay again because there are a lot more choices than there have ever been before. I'm not talking about brands, although that's true too, but I'm talking about styles of, of Chardonnay. So uh, we'll get into that next. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Yeah. I have a quote that I use regularly that Phil said when I was about 18 years old, and he said, Chardonnay is the grape that affords the winemaker the broadest palette upon which to paint because of all those stylistic choices that you talked about. So I look forward to discussing. Okay, we're going to jump right back into that. We'll be back. We're coming to you from the Wente Vineyards in the Livermore Valley. And what a beautiful place this is. You've got to see it to believe it. And it's not, you know, it's not like going to other wine countries where it's really crowded and, you know, there's just lines of traffic going down the road. It's it's very peaceful, very lovely, and you got to be here. We're going to take you on a, at least an audio tour uh, as we continue with Grape Encounters Radio with Phil, Nikki, and Carl Wente. The best way to avoid spitting wine is to avoid wines unworthy of being swallowed. David will be right back in a spit second. Oops, my bad. Make that split second. Hi, it's David Wilson. And if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, 
and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in Vino, spin.us. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts and lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, estate organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get your ship right away at mmorganics.com. Today's edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by the absolutely remarkable V-Spin Aerating Decanter. Easily one of the most captivating, innovative, and effective wine accessories of all time. This is a must-have product for any true wine enthusiast and winner of the 2018 German Design Award. It's a mind-blowing wine aeration device that creates a silent vortex inside a gorgeous crystal decanter that achieves incomparable and fully adjustable aeration in just a few minutes. Amazing to watch and amazing in the way it perfects the taste of any wine. Please take a moment to see the V-Spin in action at either v-spin.us or click the link at the top of the page at grapeencounters.com. He's setting down the wine glass and picking up the microphone. Here's your Grape Encounters host, David Wilson. Hey, back with Grape Encounters Radio and sitting down inside the Wente Vineyards. We're in a conference room right now overlooking this beautiful, beautiful vineyard. Just unbelievable. It's a knockout. But sitting with Phil, Nikki, and Carl Wente, there's a lot of reason that we're doing this show this week, and it's because we have Chardonnay Month coming up next month in May. Number two, Chardonnay Day, May 24th. Number three, the celebration of a new logo that you're going to start seeing on a lot of California wine bottles, but Wente's being among the first to show that logo. It's very important to you and very important to them and, and really very, very important to our ecology. So we really, really want to talk about that. Fourth reason we're here is because this name, the Wente name, is so synonymous with great Chardonnay. So many people who make Chardonnay have a connection to this family. Do you guys have any idea just how many people are growing what is known as the Wente clone? It's very hard to track, but it's estimated that about 80% of Chardonnay grown in California is descendant of the Wente clone. That is amazing. And so where does this story start with the Wente clone? Oh, everybody's pointing, pointing it at you, Phil. My great-grandfather was gradually expanding his vineyards. He asked his son, Ernest, to go over to a vineyard in Pleasanton that Theodore Gear was managing, who was running a famous brand at the time called Gearsburger Wines and well-regarded for producing... Uh, uh, white wines out of uh, Chardonnay grapes. The Chardonnay had come to the Gear Vineyard from Charles Wetmore's importation, part of the State Viticultural Commission, where Wetmore went to France and got pedigreed varieties.
varieties from all the great estate chateaus, etc., and brought them back and dispersed them here to wine growers in California as well as the university. This was in 1908. Ernest went over to the Gear Vineyard, got some Chardonnay cuttings, brought them back and planted them in the Winty Vineyard, and uh, we've been growing Chardonnay ever since. When they call it a clone, explain exactly what that means. So a clone technically is a genetic source from a single parent. In other words, vines that come from one single original vine. The majority of what is called Winty clone around the state is probably more properly called a Winty selection. Now there's two different primary sources of Winty Chardonnay material that went into the commercial marketplace. Basically after prohibition with the advent of varietal labeling and Chardonnay being one of the very first varietals that Winty started producing as a wine, it called for increasing the acreage and planting more vineyards. And as my grandfather went out into the vineyards, he would walk through at harvest and taste the vines, the grapes on the vines, look at the vines for their physiology and select or mark the vines that had the most intense flavors Uh. and the best physiology to be vines that would be planted in a new vineyard. And he would do this for four or five years before he would be satisfied that that vine would be in fact one that he would reproduce. Survival of the fittest. And selection of the best flavors. Exactly. Interesting. And so that concentration of flavors that he produced over a 30-year selection really became the source for the early Chardonnay small boutique producers in the late 40s, early 1950s that came to Winty and asked for wood to start their vineyards. Those were selections, but people said, I got them from Winty. So if I am another grape grower and I am growing the Winty clone... We take cuttings off of that and use those to propagate another vineyard down the road. Is it still the Wente clone? So they are genetic DNA the same as the vine they were selected from as the mother vine. So they would be the offspring of the mother vine right down to the last DNA unit. They're not sexual recombination. So they are a clone. Now, the difference is that, again, a clone would be a single vine. A selection would be taking wood from multiple vines and planting it in their vineyard. Now, where the Winty clone morphed was that in the mid to late 1950s, the University of California, in expanding their foundation plant material service nursery at UC Davis, had Harold Olmo go around and select what he thought were the most typical and best quality vines that he could to plant at the university nursery. So he came and selected Chardonnay from Winty, took it back to the foundation, and then planted individual vines. Then they took the wood from those vines and heat treated it, which is a method to get rid of any latent viruses in the wood, and then put those into the nursery. And then from that point forward, they would identify each vine with a name, like a clone number. So clone four and five of the foundation plant service vineyard were from the Winty historic selections, but now are two individual vines, Clone 4 being an individual vine that was then released to the industry and became the most widely planted clone in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. But yet they're still genetically identical, correct? To the original selections, yes. So what we're really talking about is the difference in numbers has more to do with that hand selection of particular vines that are determined to be excellent producers in in creating quality fruit? That is the point to us, is that what really made the Winty 
selections, that the heritage of those selections desirable was the fact that there were multi-generational selections for intensity, for vigor, for physiology that was desirable. And nobody else had done that through various other vineyards in California. So the Wente style of fruit uh, was quite powerful, intense, and uh, desirable. So was anybody else rushing to Europe to see if they could find something that was either equivalent or better? In other words, a competitive Chardonnay they could somehow attach their name to? Well, initially... <laughs> I uh, know people who would do Initially, that. the Foundation Plant Service did also acquire other European selections, both in Chardonnay and other varieties. And uh, upon growing and making wine out of them and looking at the uh, the quality of them, they were sort of naturally self-selecting and the Wente uh, shone above the others in what they were offering in those years. Since then, there's been a number of different sources of vines from France, from other locations, from Australia, from Argentina, Chile, imported to nurseries and, and uh, other clones developed and heat-treated, certified. So there's a really great piece done by a woman named Nancy Sweet at the Foundation Plant Service at UC Davis on the history of Chardonnay in California. You can Google it. It's an excellent background history on all of the various Chardonnay selections that were brought into California. We'll be back in just a second. We've got Phil, Nicky, and Carl Wente here. And you guys, by the way, what a pleasure to have you host me here today. I really appreciate you guys taking the time because I know this is a really super busy operation. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. We love showing off what we do. We love our valley. We love our wine. So we appreciate it. All right. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters from the Wente Vineyards right after this. Stay with me, okay? People sometimes say it's the wine talking. Well, everyone knows that wine can't talk. That's why a bunch of grapes got together and hired David Wilson to do the talking for them. David will uncork today's story after this. For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero, located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Hi, it's David Wilson. And if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. 
But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in vino, spin.us. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. Broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero. Centrally located in the central coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Yep, indeed. This has been on my bucket list for a long time to get out to the Wente Vineyards in the Livermore Valley. Nice to have you guys here. And it is uh, Phil, Nikki, and Carl. And now let's talk about oak. I know you're eager to talk oak, uh, Carl, right? Well, lots of California Chardonnays are fermented in oak and aged in oak, and it's a great augmenting factor to the grapes itself. And I think following up on what Phil talked about with the selection of clonal material, and it's something that Phil and Nikki and I still do to this day as we go out in our heritage vineyards that have some of this original genetic material and taste berries and make selections that we'll then take and plant forward. We are generally looking for intensity of fruit flavors. And thus, with really intense fruit flavors, you can afford to use more new oak and more toastiness that'll come through without tamping down on the fruit flavor itself. I was one of the people who fled from Chardonnay for a while. And I have to be really honest with you because there were so many winemakers I felt that were using oak to mask an inferior wine. So let's just leave it in the barrel longer and nobody will notice the wine. All they're going to do is taste wood. Did you find that to be true? Well, there was this whole ABC anything but Chardonnay movement that I feel like did happen, but you still look at the statistics of the percentage of Chardonnay. I mean, it's a number one selling wine out there. But coming back to oak, again, we want to have, if we're barrel fermenting a wine here, we want to pick it reasonably ripe to get the beautiful expression of the fruit flavors, which could be apple, pear, but you can get into the stone fruit and apricot and even into tropical fruit flavors, mango, papaya, guava, pineapple with that richness. And then under that, you try and layer in additional richness that can come from the barrels and new barrels. Now with any of our Chardonnays, we never really go above 50% new because you go higher than that and then it can start to tamp down on the fruit itself. Having been around the industry for a long, long time, while there was a trend of people saying, oh, Chardonnay's gotten all oaky, there's always been a wide diversity of styles of Chardonnay out there. It's not just a recent phenomenon. There's always been a number of wineries that produce no oak Chardonnays to lightly oak Chardonnays. It's just that the conversation around the heavy oak Chardonnays maybe 10 years ago really seemed to sort of dominate the market. I think you see that in some other varieties today, such as, you know, are all Cabernets 15% and massive? And we're seeing a lot of pushback and discussion where people are saying no, but, you know, nobody will deny that there's always been a wide style of those as well. But I think there's never 
never been more choices. Is that correct than there is right now? It seems like you could probably in a good wine shop find everything from one to ten. In 1970, there was less than 2,000 acres of Chardonnay in the entire state. There's 100,000 acres of Chardonnay today. So certainly there's a much broader choice as well as 5,000 wineries as opposed to 20. Do you stay within a certain, I don't want to say narrow range, but a certain range here that is part of your heritage or do you get a little wild sometimes? Well, so we have five Chardonnays in our portfolio. And so we start picking at 18 bricks. And that's just a tart acidic. You can never make a still wine that's worth anything out of it. But we make a beautiful sparkling wine, Method Champenoise. And then we move forward to about 21 bricks or percent sugar and make Eric's Chardonnay, named after my father, Phil's older brother. It's 100% stainless steel, no ML, no oak. And then we go morning fog, half stainless steel, half barrel fermented. And then we we go to Riva Ranch, single vineyard, barrel fermented, about 50% new barrels. And then we go to the nth degree, which is about 50%, 100% French oak, Louis Latour, Francois Ferrer barrels, and sort of a different style of richness there. So I think the diversity of Chardonnay offerings that we have allows for that playground to happen and really showcase the diversity of what Chardonnay can be. It's time to sip some more wine. Sip some more wine. So this is our Riva Ranch single vineyard Chardonnay. It comes from our Royal Seco vineyards, which are just south of the San Lucia Highlands in Monterey County. Barrel fermented. It gets about nine months in the barrel. It's about 50% new barrels. And then at the end of the fermentation, when the yeast settle down to the bottom of that barrel, we go and perform batonnage about once a week until New Year's roughly, and then about every three weeks until March, April, May. You lost a few people on batonnage. Batonnage is when you stir up that yeast lees, and that enhances the richness of the mouthfeel and also delivers a creamy, nutty, dough-like characteristic to the wine, which can really integrate with the fruit flavors and the oak flavors. I got to say, this is really delicious. I was going to say it's a food wine. I could use this as a food substitute and just make a meal out of it. That is so good. Well, what temperature should I serve this at? Whatever gives you the most pleasure. What temperature do you drink it at? I will generally prefer most of my wines at cellar temperature, 55 to 58 degrees. That said, there's a fun to a diversity of Chardonnay. I will never accept an ice bucket unless it literally comes out warm at a restaurant, but I would rather watch the progression of the wine as the temperature slowly elevates because it's one of the reasons Louis Pasteur said there's more philosophy in a single glass of wine than in every book he'd read is because of how it changes with every sip, with every moment of time. It's a really good point because it is interesting how you can sit with a, for instance, a red wine that's slightly chilled and as you're holding the glass, it starts to warm a little and by the time you finish the glass, hopefully if you've taken your time, you're going to have a completely different wine in your glass than what you started with. Absolutely. And that's one of the beautiful parts of it. And so there there answers the question. There's no right answer, no wrong answer. It's just whatever you prefer, but embrace the diversity and embrace the changes as they happen. Nikki, what temperature for you? I prefer wines on the cooler side, probably not too much cooler than Carl. I do accept ice buckets. (laughs) Um, And I, I do like my red wines at cellar temperature. I do not like warm red wines. Uh, And I often put red wines in the fridge after I've opened it if I am not going to finish it that night because I feel that they stay fresher. If you you come home from making a wine purchase and it's red wine, I like to put it in the fridge for about, you know, maybe a half an hour and then take it out and let it settle on the counter for about 10, 15 minutes and then open it. And it seems like you get right about, that's just a homemade way of doing it. Yeah. Homemade cellar temperature. (laughs) Yeah. Compare for me 
the it's four Chardonnays, right? No, five Chardonnays that you make, right? Five Chardonnays, and then the with the introduction of the 135th anniversary celebratory Chardonnay, that's actually six if you include the sparkling wine. How do they divide in terms of production, uh, meaning the amount of production, and what's the price range? Our Morning Fog Chardonnay has a retail of about fifteen ninety nine, and then it goes all the way through to the nth degree Chardonnay, which is about sixty five seventy dollars retail. Our River Ranch Single Vineyard. It's about a 24 retail, and the 135th anniversary Chardonnay is going to be about 35 to 40 dollar retail. Let's just uh, dive into reds. What are you making in the red department here? We grow a lot of different red varietals, a lot of different red and white varietals, and I love them all. They're all my babies. What we're going to taste right here is our single vineyard Riva Ranch Pinot Noir from the same single vineyard as the Chardonnay, and as well as our Charles Wetmore single vineyard Cabernet, which comes from this property right here, which Phil alluded to that Charles Wetmore was the owner and founder of the Cresta Blanca winery in the early 1880s, and he was very influential of bringing the genetic material, the clones, the wood from a lot of the great chateaus and estates in France, bringing them back to California to really help California be on the stage, the world-class stage of wine. This upcoming month is Chardonnay month, and then the 24th is Chardonnay day. What are you guys doing? Um, well, we'll have a live toast on Facebook. My father and I will be doing that together, and yeah, and then celebrating that evening at the restaurant with Chardonnay. And it is also Carl's birthday that day. May 24, what? Chardonnay Day and my birthday all Get in out one. Of town, man. Are you, they, did they name Chardonnay Day after you or pick it because of you? Nope, just a good coincidence in life. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. Nikki, you guys have just everything here a golf course, a restaurant, conference facilities. Yeah, just about everything. Just we about do everything. Concerts in the summer. We have weddings. We have wine tasting and tours. We have a lot of really fun stuff. And, and you guys of. have some big name concerts here too, right? We do. This summer, I'm very excited about Hunter Hayes. I'm a country girl at heart. <laughs> okay. And we also have Martin Short and Steve Martin doing stand up comedy. Two, oh, two wow. great comedians that have some of the best timing I've ever seen. Oh, awesome. And anything in the rock and roll department? What is it? American Idol Tour. Oh, that's, which, all, that's which always is, fun. What is yeah. it? The quarterfinals that go on tour? I forget exactly how many of them, but. And they're going to be here. They're going to be here playing. And then we also have Philip Phil. Phillips, who was one of the American Idol contestants from uh, years past. Uh, yeah, and over the years, we've just had a lot of great musicians. I remember seeing Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and Etta James and the Neville Brothers, and we've just had a great culture of Beach Boys, <laughs> of good food, good wine, good music. We do estate-grown olive oil from 150-year-old trees. We do our own estate-grown grass-fed beef that we put into our restaurant here, and so it's just a really good place to come and check out, and I hope you all out there listening do come to the Livermore Valley. You have every base covered that I can think of, which is going to take us to the topic of sustainability next, okay? So we're going to be back with uh, more from the Wente Vineyards in Livermore, California. Trust me when I tell you this. Go out, buy Wente Wines. It's a name you can trust. And I always uh, like to tell people that, you know, you don't have to spend a million dollars for a bottle of wine. You don't even have to spend a hundred dollars, but you got to know the names to trust. And Wente is definitely up there at the top of the credibility list and the quality list. Enough said about that. You have your assignment. Go get you some. Remember, as much as you may love wine, it is not the answer to your problems. Unless the problem is you're out of wine. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. You don't have a problem with that, do you? 
to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then, I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts and lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, estate organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get your shipped right away at mmorganics.com. For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero, located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Conservative about what he spends on wine, but liberal on how much he pours his friends. Here's your host, David Wilson. We've got Phil, Nikki, and Carl Wente here. Let's speak about earning for a second. You have worked incredibly hard to be a certified sustainable winery and vineyard. I always struggle when every year I'm asked to talk about sustainability around this time of year because I think it's it's one of those subjects that I find it very hard to drive home to the average consumer, especially if they're outside of California, how important that is, how important it really is, and what it means and what you have to go through to get to that point and what it means to the environment, what it means to the quality of the wine, why it's such a trademark of quality winemakers who didn't have to do it. It's good decision making for me. It's being good stewards of the environment, of the earth, of the soil, of the water resources, of the air, being good neighbors, good employers, good with your suppliers and your partners. And then the third tier of sustainability is managing the bottom line so you can stay alive as a family business, which we're so proud to be celebrating 135 years this year. So it's those three key facets and it's just make good decisions, care about the land, care about people. It's even 
even how you care for your employees, for your suppliers, for yourselves. For your neighbors included. And Nikki and her team and the rest of the wine growing operation go through the workbook and it's three inches thick with many questions on each one talking about your operation. So my team and myself work on the vineyard sustainability part of the project, working with the vineyards and making sure that we're staying on target. In reality, we were already living sustainably in the vineyards. We were already doing everything that we we're supposed to be doing in order to be certified sustainable on our vineyards. The paperwork is the hard part. <laughs> it's all of the questions and just answering everything. We didn't have to change any of our practices because we were already operating a sustainable vineyard operation because we've been taught generation after generation in this family that we want to preserve and continue to be stewards of the earth, stewards of our lands, provide for our future generations in hopes that they love doing what we love to do as well. Does managing a, a property this big, I imagine it, it really forces you to not waste and to make use of every resource you possibly can. I think the efficiency across all of it, it's fair, but whether you're farming one acre or 3,000 as we are and led by Nikki and her team, you want to have that philosophy about putting the best you can into the soil and sustainability means putting in what you take out in any given year and just managing those resources and managing the ecosystem. And ultimately, in our vineyards, we have herons, egrets, hawks, owls, voles, gophers, deer, turkey, humans, but ultimately a healthy vertebrate population <laughs> is an indication of a healthy ecosystem. And I think a great example is squirrels and gophers can cause a lot of problems in your vineyards. And we have owl boxes and raptor perches all throughout our vineyards. And we had a university student come in and take inventory. And we had one of the highest occupancy rates that they've seen. And we have this great image of this owl who's freaked out because she sees a camera on a selfie stick with two beautiful little birds in there that she's feeding. And then it's stacked like a morgue with gophers. There's literally five gophers stacked oh, up wow. to the side. So the amount that they can eat, we have to go and clean them out every year because the amount that they can eat is amazing. But now you're feeding a beautiful bird a different species and you have a natural predator taking care of something that there's really you know no great way to deal with. Let's talk about the logo, the sticker on the bottles. That's a brand new program out of the Wine Institute. Yeah, so the California Association of Wine Grape Growers, COG, and the Wine Institute got together to form the Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance. And it is this big certification process that you have to go through and then a third party comes in and audits what you do. And so it's a very rigorous process, but it's really about the third party auditor coming in. And with the 2017 vintage, we're allowed to use this logo on our wines that says certified sustainable. There's not many operations out there that are at the forefront of it like we are. So it's again, something we're very proud of. Everybody knows out there that listens to me, I, I have this, you know, wild hair about Pinot sometimes just because I, you know, there's some that I just don't enjoy because there's a lot of bad Pinot out there. Wouldn't you agree? There's, I, I, there's some Pinot out there that certainly doesn't taste like Pinot. And our winemaking philosophy is have the sense of place shine through. So we want our vineyards yeah. to shine through. Have the varietal itself shine through. So with Pinot, we want it to taste like Pinot. And it's easy to make Pinot disappear by blending other stuff in there. And so we really believe in that purity of what's there. It's a Monterey Pinot from so the, good. Arroyo Seco from our single vineyard down there. And we have clones 114, 115, Pomard, 667-777-828, and clone one. So lots of different vineyards down there on this single vineyard. Lots of different blocks on this single vineyard. Harvest separately, ferment separately, age separately right up till about after the new year, and then put the blend together. So you really get the beautiful diversity of the different clones and the flavors and the textures that come through. Okay, by the way, the first person who writes me back and can list all of the clone numbers that 
he just listed, I'm going to send you a really good gift. All right, I'm going to write you back. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, you Nikki is actually no. writing a note right here, no, as we said. it doesn't count. We're at the end of the show. I can't believe it. Went quick, but it was great. Our Charles Wetmore Cabernet is here, too. Oh, I'm sorry. That's yes. okay. Beautiful Cabernet yes, that comes yes, right from this property here. It's about 82% Cabernet. There's blended in there, a little bit of Malbec, a little Merlot, Petit Verdot, Petit Syrah, mm. 20 months in oak, 100% French oak, about 35, 40% new. Beautiful glass of wine. What do you do for entertainment to get away from the wine business? Practice yoga, telemark, climb mountains, read books, or listen to audiobooks. Hiking, uh, love animals. I love skiing, traveling, and also listening to audiobooks. <laughs> and how about you, Phil? Hey, I love any kind of outdoor activities. So if you have a suggestion, let's go do it. Uh, well, I think uh, right now what I want to do is I just want to go walk the property is what I'm going to go do. Yeah. So uh, you guys, thank you so much. And the Wente wines are so available to you. The quality is so terrific. By the way, the cab, I just uh, got a chance to enjoy while you guys were talking. Really, really delicious as well. The name is spelled W-E-N-T-E in case you don't know that already. WenteVineyards.com. Oh, Wente Vineyard. great, great website. Lots of great information. So it's WenteVineyards.com. You'll find more information there. I'm sure you could buy wines right on, on the website, correct? Absolutely. We just started carrying the Wente wines at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero. And this was well before I even knew we were going to come out here and talk because you guys have been on my list for a really long time. I so appreciate the time you've given me. I so appreciate what you guys do for the wine business. It's really, really been an honor to sit with so many members of the family. And thank you for giving us so much time and insight into your biz. Thank you. Cheers. All right. A little clink. And this is a real clink, folks, too. All right, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, you can go to GrapeEncounters.com and you can pull up the podcast over the weekend. Oh, I gave you the tip as to how you can find out those clones. Okay, whoever gets there first, you get it. Anyway, we'll be back here this very same time next week, so we will see you then. Till then, life is way too short to drink anything but the good stuff. As for this weekend, I recommend Wente. We'll see you next week. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.